Hello and welcome to Jorgensen Sandbox, a sandbox of sounds. The best conversations involve laughing and learning, uh, and that's exactly what I'm going to bring you here. The topics we explore on this podcast are Web3, decentralized finance, NFTs, and the metaverse, intermediate wealth building, looking at the 201 and 301 levels like angel investing, permanent equity, real estate, and stocks, the art of leverage, increasing your outcomes, uh, and just having fun with, with smart friends. Today, we're going to take the Web3 red pill, and I brought the perfect man for the job, uh, my personal crypto Gandalf, Jason Hitchcock. You'll hear about Jason's life-changing returns in the crypto space, the possible futures enabled by the underlying technology of NFTs, not just JPEGs, and uh, what the next internet could look like. Toward the end, you'll get to hear how Jason got a half million dollars stolen from him, uh, how the FBI cannot help with that, and how you can protect yourself from the same thing. This podcast is brought to you by Coinbase. Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. I don't have any sponsors yet, um, and I'd rather have you support me directly by reviewing the podcast, checking out my course, or joining the email list. To introduce Jason, he's been patiently DMing me uh, his wisdom and answering my dumb questions for the past year or so as I dive down the rabbit hole of Web3, DeFi, and Ethereum. Um, but Jason and I met back in like 2012 in San Francisco. He's always been a curious early adopter, super cool guy. I'm excited to bring you into this conversation because I think Jason's story is super interesting and the perfect way to learn about crypto from start to finish, from simple to complex. It's truly a map to the rabbit hole. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundal from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. And I hope you enjoy this conversation arriving at your ears in three, two, one. Okay. And we awkwardly begin a conversation again as though we haven't been talking for 30 minutes. Jason, welcome to the podcast. Excited to be here, Eric. Thanks you. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Um, and thank you for the months and months of tips you've been dropping in my Twitter DMs. Uh, you are my crypto Miyagi Gandalf Sherpa all in one. I think everybody needs to have someone. Uh, I needed someone. Uh, I think a lot of people who are into tech, into crypto, or like people like you and me who have had long careers in startups were around crypto. And I think both of us, I think here, here's, here's like an idea that we both relate to. Like you hear a lot of programmers, a lot of engineers, people smarter than you talking about how crypto is the future. You read all sorts of things, smarter people than you, visionaries talk about how crypto is the future for years. We've been hearing this. You see the price of Bitcoin, whatever. Um, and so maybe you buy some and you hold some to be a part of it because you're like, well, I'm not going to be that wrong. I'm going to buy some. And you sit on it, you hold it. And you like you are waiting for this chasm to close of like the future that is vaguely described of the better crypto future, whatever that even means. And like you're holding it. There's some in between. And 
what ended up happening to me is like I met someone who happened to work at like another like at a crypto company and they were like yeah. Jason did you know like there is stuff you can do with your ethereum and he asked me like what are you doing with your ethereum and I was like I have no idea I'm holding on to it uh and having someone who just happens to know the answers I think you need that and so when I felt that effect on me I tried to do that to other people like yeah very, Dude, very specific thing and it was huge for me like I I totally I didn't understand quite enough. And it took someone who like I knew and trusted in person who is like, Hey, I've like done a bit of research and like, I'm in this project and you should try it. And like, let me know if you need help. Right. Instead of this world of kind of like avatars and like pseudonyms. And you're like, I just don't know where to trust and who to like, where to jump in. Yo, here's a screenshot of my account. And then here's a screenshot of the button I'm about to press on this product that I'm about to tell you about. And like, here's a screenshot of the result. Like, look at my number is bigger. Seven days later, like, to go through these series of screenshots and imagine that future. (laughs) Yeah. Like, and it's not too good to be true. Let me explain how it works. Uh, Yeah. And and it's like, for me, it also took like, swimming in the water to understand more of like, I kind of knew the party line of like blockchain's huge. The technology is going to change a bunch of stuff, but I didn't really appreciate like what was possible and what was coming in web three until I started like clicking around in the maze and bumping into shit. And I'm forever grateful. I think that clicking around is an essential part of the research. Uh, You, everyone, everyone says, do your own research when they're having sort of investment convos, you know, in the public discourse. We all here do your own research. You can do your own research. And people are very tempted to do lots of research. We're all so smart and so curious. And we love our essays and podcasts. However, not as we were just talking about before this podcast, not everything has been written about. Most, there's very yeah. few people writing about stuff to do in DeFi. Very few. And the stuff that they have the energy to write about is very narrow. And so... Of all like the threads and blog posts that you see about how you can earn this yields and this interest and this APY staking and providing liquidity here and doing XYZ, that's only like one of 10,000 things you can do on the same products that they are covering. And so it's just incumbent on you to go like pressing the buttons yourself and seeing the result is required because no one's going to tell you to do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's... um and that's the only way to like feel the power of of some of this stuff. Um, and I should say, that, lot, like, go ahead. A lot of it is about feeling that this is real. Yeah. You need to press the button. Like, you need to be constantly revealing to yourself that there is this new internet that has been re-architected. It works a little different. It feels a little different. There's only a couple categories of applications you can use. There's some, like some art stuff, collectibles, and like there's some finance stuff. Go use it. Go use this narrow set of applications and get familiar with how this internet works. Yeah. So we'll we'll end up with some like stuff people should go play with, I think. Um, but I wanna yeah. I wanna like also kind of establish some credibility for you in that like we met maybe 10 years ago at, at maybe the coolest single room in San Francisco, which is Monkey Inferno, in amidst like awesome people who were just openly excited about doing cool stuff with technology. You like were on the founding team or early team of Bebo, which like got rebooted and eventually sold to Twitch. And like you have had an amazing startup career. Um, and we've known each other kind of through it. So 
like when you say like, Hey, pay attention to this. Like I take you very seriously. Um, and when you get excited about it enough to say like, I'm going now full-time crypto, um, that is a, even another like big signal to me. Sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess the, the TLDR on who I am, my career, like maybe like you just kind of said it like nine or 10 years of working at early stage startups, startups that where I was out of the first hire or in the first 10 or 15 people. And it was, it was always a go-to-market role, build out a sales team, a BD team, a customer success team, a growth team. And sometimes it was consumer, sometimes it was enterprise. And I kind of just kind of did that and um, yeah. started a startup in there that didn't go anywhere. And um, the last one was working at Monkey Inferno, which was an idea lab. Uh, we were super interesting. We had unlimited funding from a billionaire, the founders of the original Bebo, me, Sean Purry, Furcon, Tyler, Neil, Johnny Dallas, a bunch of other guys. There was about 11 of us. We we just kind of rapidly built apps and took them to market every couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And uh, we would we had a lot of sort of ideas on how to approach work. Um, and then one of those ideas ended up getting picked up by Twitch. We built a streaming app for content creators. I got really into the world of streaming and content creation. And uh, then at Twitch, I spent about two years uh, leading up a um, an organization that basically we developed fandom strategy. And the idea was creating a framework to facilitate fandom for original content properties at Twitch. And uh, that was super fun. I love being at Twitch. Uh, it's really awesome being on the inside of one of those big companies you always wonder about, especially one that you use. Yeah. Um, you, you, you get all sorts of superpowers and you get new kryptonites. And um, it was great. And then while, while at Twitch, though, during like the last year of the pandemic, I just started looking beyond Twitch. Um, I liked it there, but I couldn't help but I couldn't ignore what was happening in crypto. Um, uh, for the listeners, Google DeFi Summer. It was like a it was an important event that happened. It was last it was last summer, and it was sort of like you know Compound kicked off liquidity mining, and you know Uniswap started to take off, and Sushi forked, and there was all sorts of activity. A lot of protocols, a lot of applications were launching in crypto on Ethereum. You could use Ethereum and. Next thing you know, I was just paying attention to that. And like, I started making money with it. And next thing you know, it was, yeah. Was that summer the like, you know, I'm sure, you know, we both heard about and and probably bought like some sort of Bitcoin and ETH like quite early, but didn't know what to do with it. And it just kind of sat around. Was DeFi summer the moment you were like, oh shit, like we can do stuff now. Like, here we go. It was a little bit. So yeah, for me, exactly. You know, I bought some Bitcoin like in 2015. And it was like $5,000 worth when, when it was like 500 bucks. And then that went up to like 30K. And I was like, holy shit. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> during last cycle. And then I swapped all of that for Ethereum thinking, great, I missed Bitcoin. I'm not going to miss Ethereum. And then I sat on a bunch of tokens for like a while. And, um, you know, uh, look at the price graph for Ethereum for 2018. It's not really exciting. And then my friend Boz, who he worked at Akash at the time, which is like a decentralized hosting company. He asks me, hey, what are you doing with your Ethereum? And I was like, I don't know. I'm holding on to it. And he goes, you should check out Haru Invest. And I was like, what is that? And he's like, it's like basically you deposit your Ethereum on Haru and they're like a hedge fund. They're going to go day trade your your uh, your Ethereum and they're going to share the interest with you that they earn. And they're going to do like a low risk day trading strategy. All right, I have no idea what any of this means. I'm like, 
cool. Interest on my ETH. Let's go do it. I've never even heard about that. I deposit all my ETH onto Haru. I lock it up for three months. I come back and I've got like 16 more Ethereum at the end of three months. And I'm like, that was wild. And then right at the, right, right, right when that ended, Sushi had just forked um, Uniswap and come out with a governance token. And Boz had moved on to that. And he's like, oh man, I'm now, I've now deposited some, I now have Sushi tokens and I'm in like the ETH Sushi pool earning Sushi tokens. And then I take my Sushi and I stake those. And I was like, wow, that's really complicated. That's too much <laughs> And he's like, okay, if that's too much for you, you should check out this thing called Harvest Finance. And mm. I was like, okay, I can I can understand Harvest. Harvest at, uh, is a is a yield aggregator. Harvest plugs into lots of DeFi protocols that are generating yield, and you kind of just deposit ETH into one side of it, and it kind of runs its magic and turns that ETH into lots of assets and provides liquidity in a lot of places. And harvests all the yield and gives it to you. And I was like, through through using Harvest, I started to earn. Like 150% or 200, 300% APY on, on my deposit. And I was like seeing it enter my account in real time. And then I was kind of deconstructing, well, how does this work? Like, how am I earning this money? Yeah. You know, I'm earning a lot. Um, I'm, I'm earning like I'm earning like hundreds of dollars a day doing nothing. And um, and then you start to learn about all the places harvest provides liquidity. Yep. What is providing liquidity? It's yeah. like sort of these things where I said earlier, you can kind of do all this research um, forever and words like providing liquidity like, are going to melt over your face. But the act of like <laughs> depositing your Ethereum onto something into a smart contract and then watching it go when your friend just says, trust me, yeah, it can't be the first thing. Uh, Dude. Like, you know, like, all right. And then you're like, well, what's going on here? And you, like, <laughs> you ask those questions, there are answers. There's white papers written about every one of these products. They're all open source. They're all designed to be understood by outsiders. And so they, the path to learn about this stuff is there. And so I started learning about Harvest Finance, Sushi, Provided Liquidity, DeFi Summer. There's a whole cast of characters um, on like, how do you borrow against your Ethereum? What does it mean to get liquidated? And I learned about all these verbs that you can do yeah. in DeFi. And next thing you know, I started like, you know, at the time, like I wanted to leave Twitch. I wanted to find like, oh, I should I should start a Shopify store or I should start a newsletter, a premium newsletter. I'm going to join like Hustle Trends Group and I'm going to find some like side hustle that earns me my salary. I'm going to fire myself and woohoo. And, <laughs> you know, it was so hard and there was so much energy I was putting. I was in so many chat rooms. We were in some of these chat rooms together yeah. where all we did was talk about money and how to make passive income. And like we learned that like there is no such thing as passive income. It's all very active. And so I was just looking for something to do with my 10 years of experience at startups that was not working at a big corporate bureaucracy. And after doing lots of experiments, my buddy Boz asked me, hey, what are you doing with your Ethereum? And next thing you know, earning interest on Haru, earning interest on Harvest, learning about what Harvest plugs into. I think Harvest was the first thing you got me onto too. Um, and like my process became, and it's probably not, I mean, I do not advocate this process, but like, it was basically like, I did whatever you told me to do. And like, then I was committed to it and had to figure out how it worked and why it was happening. So I would like yeah. jump and then work backwards to understand what was happening. Where else are you going to start? Are you going to randomly stumble upon some website on your own? Because uh, like, you're not even interested in at this moment. Like at this moment, you are me. Like, um, before Boz asked me what I was doing with my ETH. Like I was not interested. I was not even looking. And so even if you told me, you know, 
hey, there's a yield out there. Go go find a DeFi site. Go use it. I wouldn't even know where to begin. Yeah. I needed someone to show me, yo, pff, here's harvest. <laughs> this is beginner level one. Just deposit. And like, here's a counter. It literally counts up. Dude, and yeah. so maybe to even describe, like, what are we even talking about? Or what, what are we going to say? Uh, seeing those like seven digits, like a decimal to seven digits and like seeing your harvest deposit, like auto compound. And like yeah. that last digit is a blur is just like a, is it is an oh shit moment. I think for me to be like, oh, this is like totally how money should work. Like to even to, and now to give some background, like what is harvest uh, here, like some context, um, the sort of mind blowing moment for me was learning like how DeFi works. And so a good example is like in, in CFI, centralized finance, Eric's got a small business and he wants a loan. Eric goes to the bank. He goes, hey, I got a great business. Here's my loan application. The bank goes, great, great loan application. We're going to get you a loan. That bank goes to a bigger bank and they go, hey, we got some great borrowers. Can you originate a loan to us? The bigger bank goes, here's a loan for your great borrowers. Pay this loan back at this rate with these fees. Smaller bank goes, you got it. They go to Eric. They go, hey, here's a loan. Pay this back at this rate with these fees. You go, great. And you go do it. That's how it works. In DeFi, though, you put up your collateral. You say, I have some ETH. You want to borrow against it. The, there is no bank that you in this situation. There is, no, there is no bigger bank to originate the loan. You just say, hey, I need some loans. And then the bank is really just a big pool of money that says, well, uh, you can just take some money out of this pool. And there's a Wikipedia army of liquidity providers like myself. There's thousands of people who say, oh, there's people like Eric uh, out there who need money. I'm just going to deposit some money into this big pool. Mm -hmm. And instead of like those fees going to the super big bank, I'm going to get those fees for being the one to provide the liquidity. And it turns out that bank got some pretty fat fees. And I, as an individual non-bank person, would be totally thrilled to get these fees directly. Like I've never seen these kinds of fees before. And so, of course, I'm going to put my money here which then creates a lot of liquidity for you to borrow. And let's say one day uh, you can't pay your, like you can pay your loan back whenever you want. There's no bank branch. You know, there's no hourly employees. So you can pay your, your loan back in 30 years. Uh, but there's like some interest on it that accrues. And if one day your collateral, like you put some ETH up so you could borrow, if your collateral doesn't cover your loan, it's going to get liquidated and like, I'm going to get it. And uh, that's how the system stays solvent. And it turns out there's, like this is the economic model of many sort of DeFi products. Like there's exchanges uh, that are like, hey, we're a decentralized exchange. We don't have a centralized market maker. We have a we have a decentralized market maker. People put their money into these pools to create trading pairs, and uh, there's no order book here. It's just a decentralized piece of software that facilitates trades. And then you know people can provide money into these trading pools, and they can earn fees on all the exchanges. And so that's like how that that's that principle at work. And there's many, many places to put liquidity to add your money to earn these fees. And so it can actually be kind of overwhelming for you as a user. You could be like, whoa, there's like a hundred DeFi protocols. They all need liquidity. They're all borrowing, they're lending, they're trading. And it's a lot of gas to enter all these places. I want to earn all these tokens and fees. So something like Harvest says, hey, we plug into like everything. We've vetted all these projects. Yeah. We have uh, you can just provide liquidity into the harvest, and we will funnel that money around DeFi 
and we will search for the highest yields that you could earn on lending or providing liquidity on exchanges. And we're going to claim the yield every day and give it to you. And so you're going to see your, like your earnings are just going to keep going up as we claim that yield and share it with you. And so like, that's a new kind of like business model. Yeah. Which is we're, we're relearning some of the terms like liquidity providers, kind of a new thing. Lending is not a new thing, but is like able to do directly. Um, and right. instead of like through the bank um, and in getting, you know, even a few, even single digit percent on your deposits on a stable coin um, is meaningful when the interest rate in your savings account is like 0.01. And if you think about like, what's the verb, you know, that typically generates um, interest for you, it's like that small bank that you have your bank account, like they're lending out money and like they're, they're collecting fees and they share that with you, the depositor. And like today, people are getting 0.5%, maybe like 1% if like they're at an awesome bank. And like, that's the status quo. Yeah. Now, in this other case, because we're cutting out some of like the middlemen in like the financial stack, we're cutting out like the bank as the lender and the collector of fees. You now just directly put the money in the pool and it goes out. And when transactions happen, like the feed is like goes right to you because like it's programmatic. And so it turns out like the margin, like we're cutting out some of the margins. So now like the fee is like 10% or, you know, and then depending on the verb, like maybe it's not lending. Being a market maker on the New York Stock Exchange, like though the companies that are providing liquidity so that trading pairs are able to effectively like trade Apple stock to US dollars or, or to euros, whoever is providing like that market of liquidity, they're collecting fees on all the trades. And yeah. it turns out like that also is a great verb to get a piece of the action of you earn, like if you want to provide stable coins to the big stable coin marketplace out there, like the forex of stable coins is curve. You can deposit stable coins effectively dollars on a curve and you can earn 20% APY. And it's not crazy. It's like, it seems crazy, but it's not because you're, you're involved in, in like a different financial transaction than you were with your bank deposit. Um, so let me let me see if I can like s summarize or at least like close the analogy back to the real world. So that when you put money into something like Harvest, um, Harvest is then like distributing your money across like these various use cases. So like you may at different times without even realizing it be lending your money, uh, running a brokerage house, providing like providing trades uh, or liquidity in trades. Um, and maybe even another, but all of those things are meaningfully like higher margin than they used to be because there's no middleman. It's just software running this stuff for you. And so you're earning the, you're earning like, you know, market maker or lending rates, um, at higher margins automatically through software when you have money in DeFi. Yes. And uh, it's like in scenario one, you're earning money from bank lending to small businesses and giving you cut of fees. In the other case, it's the long list of things that you just said. In addition to like things you didn't even mention, which could get tagged on that list, like you could stake your tokens in sure. a DAO and you could earn fees from the whole protocol. And like, uh, or you could... Um, so, thing you be, yeah. So t talk us through staking a little bit. So that that is like a new verb, right? Like that doesn't exist in traditional finance. So what what is staking and how does it differ from some of the other stuff we've talked about? 
Yeah, maybe the way I'm going to answer that is I'm going to step back and say, so remember in 2017, the big thing in crypto was the ICO. Um, yeah. Everyone, uh, it sort of came onto our radar. Here's how you make a token. Everyone starts making tokens, ICOs. Turns out what we invented was, here's a new vehicle to raise money for something. Lots of scams happened because like all they did was raise money. <laughs> but it turns out the ICO did invent something useful. And we still today, the ICO, the initial coin offering is a, is a mechanism. So DeFi Summer introduced a new mechanism for raising, for doing capital formation for uh, crypto companies. And this was called like farming or liquidity farming. So the question to the company is, how does this protocol get our token out there into the hands of the right people? And so they said an ICO typically was centralized exchange sells token. Great. We can all now go buy the token. Price goes up. Cool. We can trade it. An ICO says we want to engender the right behavior that bootstraps our economy and gets our tokens in the, in the, in, in the hands of the right people. An ICO is one lever to pull. What other levers do we have? Well, things that a token needs. So we'll just use a product. We'll, we'll take a protocol as an example, like sushi, uh, the sushi protocol in exchange, a decentralized exchange. Think of it like Wikipedia. Anybody can go create a trading pair. These two tokens trade. If you add enough liquidity, anybody can trade it. It's listed. Great. So um, sushi has a governance token. How are they going to get it out there? If on day one, they've just kind of got it all on their smart contract, uh, one thing they can do is they can say, we're going to do a private sale to investors. Uh, it's going to be locked up okay, for a few years. Cool. What do you do with that private sale? Well, great. We need to give... look. People are going to want this token. So we're going to say, people who, who create liquidity, so take Ethereum and Sushi, take USDC and Sushi. These are the common pairs. We have two pools. If you can, uh, if you buy sushi tokens from this pool that we've established with our initial investors, and you can like re-add to that pool, great. Why would you do that? We're going to be giving you know X thousand, you know ten thousand sushi tokens a day are going to go to that pool. And mm. so on day one, you're going to see like, well, there's like three liquidity providers, and you're going to see ten thousand sushi tokens worth ten bucks a day, worth ten bucks each going to that pool. People are going to see, wow. 8 billion percent APY. And then as more people join that pool, they share that 10,000 tokens and the APY comes down to like a realistic 300% APY. But again, that that 300% interest is from every day they're trying to distribute their tokens and they're trying to do it in a way that incentivizes more people to fill this liquidity pool so mm-hmm. there's depth in the trading pair. And now that they've done this, now people can have low slippage trades for this token. So sort of like mission one accomplished for token, people can now buy our token on a decentralized exchange. Another thing that they could do is they could say, hey, one of the properties, like why should you own our token? Not only do we have a finite number and it's scarce, but this token has superpowers. You can vote on decentralized proposals. You can submit like ways to improve our protocol, a way for us to grow our business. Maybe we should use our treasury for something. We should acquire something. Submit a proposal. If you have our tokens, you can vote on them. And so how do you vote on them if you have our tokens? You can stake them in our DAO, our decentralized organization. Here's a place, here's a button, press it. You can deposit your tokens. What's also cool about like, why would you want to vote on proposals? Like maybe very few things affect you, but maybe you believe in our protocol. Well, one thing that we've done is to incentivize people to care about voting on our proposals. 
we're going to share 5% of pro protocol revenue with everyone who has staked their tokens and votes on proposals. So one reason to own the Sushi token is it accrues value, you know, you know, 0.25% of every transaction on the protocol goes to staked, you know, token holders. So here's, so like, that's another way to sort of get your token in the hands of people um, is like you share the revenue with users. And so providing liquidity can be like one way. Another way to earn tokens is you stake. Um, another is you just, you buy on the market to like from these pools to hold them. Maybe they'll go launch on an exchange. Like right now, like Sushi recently, like two weeks ago or three weeks ago, launched on Binance. Finally, even though it's been a big token since DeFi summer, that's a part of their strategy. Like they said, we're going to hold aside mm. X tokens to provide, to be a market maker on, we're, we're going to be the market maker on Binance. And by the way, we're going to earn the fees. Those will go to our treasury. So where am I going with all this? Um, I think there's an analogy that I can make about investing, which is like, imagine investing in a startup well, today you would just like buy equity in a startup and be like, I believe in this company or like, I believe in Apple. In crypto, what you can do is you can say, I believe in the startup. I'm going to hire this. I'm going to pay 25% of the salary of this salesperson here. And um, that's like, not only am I going to get equity for investing in that salesperson, but because I bought 25% of the salesperson, I'm going to get like 25% of their bounty as their commission. And like, that's what it means to be an investor. Yeah, and I, like people talk about programmatic money. Like that's an example of programmatic money at play. Like, what if you had the tokens? Like, what if you had stock that was highly aware of every aspect of the business? You know, the it moment be, yeah, it could be moved like, around. Like, what what was operational cash and and equity is now kind of the same thing. And there's so many different ways to contribute to the system that there's a lot of ways for these organizations or protocols to reward you for participating. Hundred um, percent. You know, like uh, and like at Apple, it's like I get Apple stock dividends every quarter. Um, but like, what if, what if you got them every time someone swiped a credit card at the Apple at, at like the the cash register, and like that's a that's a property of like programmatic money. Like when you have a token that is kind of like stock, and that token is a feature of the software. It's aware of the transactions, the number of users. Um, and like it can give you a role to play, and like as a stakeholder, like like I use sushi, I trade on it, I provide liquidity. I also want it to get more valuable. Like there's there's like a little bit of fire in me to pay attention to sushi and be interested in the outcomes. Yeah. I'm like I can't believe I'm interested. I just sent out a tweet just now about like how like Uniswap has like I tweeted about their governance. Like I can't believe I'm talking about the meta governance of a of an open source trading platform like which which is so like part of what is so cool about this um and i i don't want to like we skipped a few steps so i want to go back to the beginning but i think part of what's so cool about this is exactly that that like you can choose your interest level and the projects that you're interested in and how you want to participate in them the the not just which but like the degree to which you participate um so i want to i want to kind of end there but like let's go back to the like the foundation of all of this which is ethereum um and you said to me once like i think the whole game is to just get as much ethereum as you can um another i think another quote that i think is you is like uh, i don't own any bitcoin i'm bullish on eth becoming the ios of crypto um yeah. so like starting from the foundation layer here like let's get a sense of 
what Ethereum enables, if that's the foundation. Yeah, 100%. And um, good point. I agree with those things. Those, those are things I've said to you. Uh, and I think, you know, the bull case for Ethereum is like, is just to be understood. Like, as Ethereum is understood, um, like, like it's just going to it's it's going to work out. Um, the way to, my analogy for Ethereum, or an analogy is like, what what was amazing about Bitcoin is it gave us crypto economics, and um, and so you know if you look at what Bitcoin is, is it's a piece of software that runs one application, and like it's an application that is like here's wallets, here's how the money for those wallets comes into existence, and like here's a cool mechanism like this mining mm. and like wallets can send the the tokens around and like what's cool is all these wallets are very confident like they know where all the money is like wow great um vitalik sees this and goes wow what if you could take these crypto economics and you could bring that and tie it to a programming language so you could then create applications that share these crypto economics across all of them and like there's a unified economic platform uh, for them all. And that would allow you to bake, build applications. And that's like where we are today. And so I would say like if Bitcoin is sort of like a, a basic calculator, um, not even scientific, it's a basic addition and subtraction calculator, then uh, Ethereum is more like iOS. It is a full operating system that you could build that calculator. Bitcoin is an app you could build on Ethereum. But like you could build lots of other apps. And also, by the way, where we are today, to kind of like pivot a little bit away, and I'm going to come back to our main topic is we're at this time where we are now like, if, if, you, if you make the assumption like, yes, I see their software happening on Ethereum, people are making full apps out of it. And I think like there's a network effect that developers, there's a data network effect on this blockchain, user network effect, yada, yada, yada. Um, if you believe there's going to be a lot of other industries on Ethereum, then you can make assumptions like they're not all going to agree with like what Ethereum should do. They're going to come into conflict and they're all going to need bespoke blockchain solutions that Ethereum can't solve. And so where we are now is like there's things like Cosmos and Solana and Polkadot and there's layer two solutions like, like Polygon and Optimism and Arbitrum. And so these are filling in the gap of once healthcare and finance and video games, et cetera, all adopt Ethereum for software, like we're going to need more infrastructure to power our specific needs as an industry. Um, so, but going back, like where we're at with Ethereum is people are making applications. Um, and if you believe that like the more people use applications on Ethereum, the more data is going to get written to that blockchain. And the more data that gets written to it, the more desirable it would be to access that data, which, which then sort of creates a stronger bond between the users and the applications. Mm -hmm. And like then like, as, as there's more retention, there's more reason for developers to be like, oh, turns out like there's a lot of users and capital on, on, on Ethereum. I think I should be building there too. And like, that's where we're at now. And like the flywheel is spinning really fast. And we're starting to see billion, you know, multi-billion dollar companies are now on Ethereum. We're seeing massive transaction volume. Um, and it's it's going off. And so Ethereum sort of has like a pretty big head start um, in terms of being a smart contract platform. And it's probably going to take a few years for other 
even Solana or at or Cosmos, other blockchains to catch up to where it is today. And so given its head start in liquidity and development, I think it's like Ethereum is going to secure itself as this sort of functional layer of, I don't, I don't know the right words, but like it's going to be, some people say it's the settlement layer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's going to be a sort of platform layer for the next version of the internet. And there's going to be like these other blockchains that will like roll back up into Ethereum and sort of share their sort of niche data for their niche use case back to Ethereum. But everything's built on Ethereum. And so it's like if you could go back in time and uh, you knew the internet was going to be a thing and it like you knew that it required JavaScript and HTML to build the internet. But like there was only there's only 100 million JavaScript units out there. Like, would you go buy some JavaScript? Yeah. Uh, also, like, what if you knew there was some cool economics to JavaScript? Like, by owning it, as people use it, like, you get airdrops more JavaScript. That'd be so really cool. Here's here's my like set of. I've been trying to just like mash together analogies, um, and I, I like have a working on a post about this. That's like in some of is imperfect and like maybe crazy, but like it's the utility of AWS, the network effects of the App Store, the like global market of and, and reach and scale of like TCP IP or HTTP or JavaScript uh, with the economics and like gross margins of a just fat SaaS business. And it's kind of all of those things together. And as you say, yeah. it's early, but like there's a chance that it's all of that. And if it's all of that, then like it's insanely I- valuable and maybe the biggest asset on earth. Yeah, it could uh, like if you listen to this podcast called Bankless, which I love and highly recommend. They believe if like they they strongly make the case, and like there's an asset you can there's an episode you can Google called like Ethereum, a triple point asset, and they they've made the case that uh, very persuasively that Ethereum is the greatest asset of all time. It is the first asset that is a money. It is a capital appreciation asset. It is a utility. It is like functional gas on Ethereum. It is all three. You need Ethereum to use Ethereum. Um, it gets more valuable. You spend it. Um, and uh, I think, you know, one thing, like, so I'm betting on Ethereum. Like, I, I like I feel more, con- I feel like we're always every year de-risking this mm-hmm. thesis around what is Ethereum and what is it trying to become. And like, it's never been more de-risked than it is today. And like, two things that come to mind right now as we're talking about this. One, Mark Andreessen said, like, his greatest regret ever about Netscape was not including payments, yeah. and it was on, it was on the list of things to include, and it just didn't make it into shipping, and it turned out to be super significant. It was a genie you couldn't put back in the bottle, and it's the reason why we have ads on the internet, all these business models that we have. It's the reason why we have checkout flows and all these yeah. funnels the way they are. The internet could feel so different because when you logged into your browser, if it just connected to your bank account, every action you took on the internet could pay someone. And like the internet could look and feel very different. And that's why we say like we're re-architecting the internet on Ethereum. It really is completely re-architecting it. And um, we're changing what all the funnels look like. If when you click on a YouTube video, the moment you watch it, the creator got paid. And like uh, yeah, that, by the second that you happen that, to watch it. Right. Yeah, exactly. And as you watched it, like that payment forked to like all the stakeholders that made that video happen from like the website that like showed it to you the hosting company that served it, the actors that were in it, yada, yada, yada. That's like a different internet. And like, it's very clear that if you use DeFi, that like, that's what's being built right now. 
it, like it feels different. So like, that's like one thing. The other thing I would say is like, I feel like we always underestimate how big software, like we always underestimate big network effect things and software. Like we still to this day can't believe how big the internet is. And like, we've only just begun. Like, yep. like talk about like umpteen billion, like the billions of people with smartphones. Like we have these websites that have billions of users and like, we still can't believe it, but they're still growing like crazy. We think about the billions in revenue that like Facebook and Google do. It's like, it's so much more mind boggling than we can imagine. And like, you know, I remember at like AWS, like we had an all hands um, at, at Twitch. Then they were like talking about like how like Andrew Jassy was like, we are only at like 6% of our total addressable goddamn market. Like, <laughs> like you think Amazon Web Services is gigantic? Like, think about this. We, we believe that like 90% of like future customers of AWS, just AWS, like the people that we win, like we think that like 90% aren't even ready to adopt the internet yet. Like they're still on old computer, like, like 1950s shit. And like, so they're still coming onto the internet 2.0. And yeah. um, so I think what's going to happen with Ethereum is like, it's going to benefit from all that scale. But like Ethereum, people don't appreciate how small it is today. Like it's got single digit millions of users, like, like millions of like wallets. And then yeah. like DeFi has like low 100,000 like active users every month. So multi hundred billion dollar industry $2 trillion market cap. Yeah. It's, it, and I think it's going to define the next couple decades. Um, and it's always hard to see how this stuff is going to come, but every, every user, every single person on the internet is going to touch crypto in some way. Yep. And like, I'm going to say one more thing. Like there's this, like in terms of like how we can't imagine, like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to like give narratives on like how we can't imagine how wrong we're going to be. Like everybody who says Bitcoin to a million, we're going to laugh at them for like being so low. Everybody who says, Ethereum to 10K, like we're gonna be like, I can't believe we thought 10K was the ambitious guess. It's probably gonna be one of those million dollar tokens also. But yep. like, there's this famous interview with Bill Gates um, on David Letterman, where David Letterman's like, tell us about the internet. And Bill Gates is like, let me tell you about the internet. And he <laughs> tells him about all you can do on the internet. He's like, we can watch TV, watch sports, listen to music. We can learn about the world. And David Letterman is like, we can do that with TV and radio, <laughs> movies, and magazines. Oh my God. And, you know, the thing that Bill Gates, he was right about all that stuff, but like Bill Gates could not describe everything that we could not predict. Like, mm -hmm. could not describe Uber, Airbnb, Amazon. Like, right now in crypto, we're making all these mirror images of websites that we are already familiar with. The thing in crypto that's going to be worth trillions of dollars is the thing that, like, can you believe that, like, when you have like this new rule, like in technology, like you can make this, like this yep. is, we don't know what the Google of crypto is yet. It's not, maybe it's a crypto bank like Coinbase. Maybe that's one of them, but like, I think it's, I don't know. It's, it's mind blowing to think about, but like, I don't think we can imagine the granularity of transactions we're going to have in our life on, on this digital platform. And I think like that granularity of transactions, like is what's going to blow our minds. Like what happens when, like, this is the wrong example like, what if you paid for every, every time someone made you laugh, you know, group of friends in life, what if like they got like a fee for that? Like you may not literally, like that might sound weird. Like the fact that that sounds weird right now, like maybe yeah. 20 years in the future as they listen to this record and they're like, yeah, that's totally normal. Like the world works, you exchange value, you pay for everything. Um, that's, I think like the market cap we're talking about Ethereum is 
And we, I don't know what that is. I think it's like several zeros more than what we're currently imagining. It's yeah. It's interesting to think um, that like the internet to this point, though many transactions happen on it, is like unmonetized. Um, yeah, go on. Uh, so, well, like, let's let's try to define uh, or at least like set up a little bit of Web three. Like, is Ethereum the square within Web 3's rectangle? And like, Web three actually like contains a lot of other projects and types of blockchains and things like that. Like. Web3 strikes me as blockchain-enabled uh, internet software. Yeah. And so blockchain is like, it's a new technology. It's up there with simple machines like the ramp and like the ink, like, right? It, it, it's like new, new way. The printing press, the, yeah. Yeah, totally. And so if you just imagine the internet, you know, and like, there's like these two axes, like this two axes, like X and Y axes, like here's our technology and here's our ideas. Here's what we've created with it. And if you add this new Z axis to it of like, boom, now you got a blockchain. There's like this new 3D space for all these ideas to be re-architected in. Like what, like we're now seeing like with FinTech, uh, we're seeing what happens. Uh, the thought experiment is like when you add this new Z-axis, this blockchain, we cannot reimagine what is an exchange, what's borrowing, what's lending, um, what's money. And so that's just like the first set of applications that's being reinvented. And now what's happening is like FinTech, which is basically like a digital front end to a classical back end financial system. Mm-hmm. We're now seeing the true promise of FinTech being delivered thanks to a blockchain existing. We have the internet. We're all onboarded. We have like software developers. We know how to make software, but now give the blockchain technology, we can now reinvent the full financial stack and it looks different. And so the question is like, like intellectually, people wonder like, what's social going to look like in Web3? We don't know. What does it look like? What are the, what are the sort of intermediaries that need to be opened up uh, by a DAO? Like, is it, policies on content and like, how would those be enforced? Um, We now know how to enforce like prices and trading and settlement on exchanges. What are the problems that need to be disintermediated by a blockchain um, on Web3? So I think Web3 applications are like applications that strive to disintermediate intermediaries using a blockchain and create software. And so in the blockchain actually, well, Ethereum specifically delivers like two different kinds of scarcity that I think it's worth splitting out, right? So there's scarcity in a currency sense where like every individual ETH is identical, but there's a very hard cap and we know who owns what amount of ETH. And then there's the, I think it's 720 protocol, which is the like individually identifiable token where it's like there's scarcity in the sense of like, yeah, non-fungible, but like scarcity in the sense of there is only one of these and we can track exactly where that one is. Or there's only 10 and we can track exactly where each one of the 10 is. That's an example of a cool feature of Ethereum. Like Ethereum was basically like Bitcoin. Then one day CryptoPunks was made and they were like, here's a cool collection, CryptoPunks. These are all individually collectible. And uh, we have coded this thing that like makes it possible. And Ethereum developers were like, that's a really cool application you made on Ethereum, we see how you hack that together. We're going to take what you made and bake that in as a new standard. People can now make non-fungible tokens. 
Um, therefore, now you can make applications that use these. And so now, now like that use case has emerged. NFTs today are awesome. Like people look at them as art. And like I have this cool mural behind me that's like cycling through like interesting NFTs that I like. Um, and but there's a really great interview with Mark Cuban on Bankless where he talked about how he thought about NFTs and it really changed how I look at them. He talked about B2B NFTs and he said, you know, imagine a statement of work, an SOW, a work order. Uh, these stakeholders in this work order have all agreed to this work order. And when this work order is done, everyone gets paid XYZ. And like that could all, ex- the state of all of our work could exist in software. And this work order would be really easy to manage. Welcome to big company, Eric. Here is your employee NFT. This NFT gets you access to Slack, G Drive, your email. This gets you discounts at these 20 businesses locally. Yep. It'll log you into the building. When you're, uh, also, it literally emits every second uh, your salary um, in stable coins. Like you don't wait every two weeks. It just streams to you. You can yeah. literally go against it. Um, like <laughs> you have this it's, predictable income. Which is, is crazy. I mean, like I had, a, I had another oh shit moment the first time I used an NFT to log into a website. Um, it is like it contains or re- could represent like your unique account and history in any club or community or organization. Like, I just can't wait. Beginning. I can't wait to go to a social club one day. And like, I want to get like, a, I'm going to get like, maybe I'll, maybe I'll make this happen. Like I'll get a membership at the modernist or, and like, I will go and be like, we need to do this. Um, I want to walk into a club, have it see my wallet and say, that's Jason. And I want it to pull my NFTs out of my wallet and put them on the wall and make me feel mm. at home. And, uh, and I want to, I want to flex to everybody. Like I have these NFTs and by the way, this space is better because like I'm a part of this community and I brought my stuff with me. And then like they all, the bartenders are like, Oh, the, uh, wall, that wallet is here. Like, let's go get the wallet, like their drink. Like they have their membership token in it. I'm like so excited about membership tokens. Like I, I like when you like in the past, it was like on Facebook, I like, 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 I'm proactively announcing. These are the things I like in the future. It's like you run a marathon and they're like, Eric, you ran the Boston Marathon. Here's your NFT from the 2021 Boston Marathon. You were three hours and 21 minutes. Here's everybody else that was in the marathon. And like, you're like, great, I have this token. And like in 10 years, you have 20 of these tokens because you run so many marathons. And then one day, someone made a smart contract that's like, when anybody ever gets their 20th marathon with a time average of whatever, invite them to the special runner's tribe. And like one day, you're going to get the runner's tribe token airdropping your wallet automatically. And you're going to be like, Fuck yeah, I have the runner's <laughs> tribe token. What does this mean? And you'll Google it and you'll be like, do you have the runner's tribe token? Are you a true runner? Do you show up and like, is this who is this your way of life? Like access to Discord, access to events. Here's the discounts that you get. Uh, we have an annual meetup, runner's tribe only, uh, where we just get down and dirty and we like we love being runners. And like, by the way, you've also got like one for how much you love wine. And like you're at a party one day and you're like, Yo, Joe, look at like, I see you have a runner's tribe token, like me too. And like, this is what life could be. And like, we have many of these tokens. And by the way, like one day you and I worked together and you were like, Jason was a great podcast guest. He has a, I have given him a great podcast guest token. And so like other people who know you that record podcasts are like, oh, Jason has like four good podcast guest tokens. Like 
three from people that I know and respect, like I might invite him on my podcast, or maybe it's like, I've hired, I hired Jason to do something for me and he did good work. I gave him a good work token and like vendors, like other people in the future go like, Ooh, Jason has collected 10 good work tokens from Eric. And I respect Eric. Like that's so much more than a resume or a quote on a website. And like, I can imagine this world of NFTs, like everything in the world that is valuable, that is non-fungible will end up being onto a token if it can be easily turned into a non-fungible token. And like something that could be non-fungible that is valuable is an endorsement. Like Eric, like you're a good guy. Like I think you're, you know, you, you're single. And like, I'm like one of like your close friends. Like I vouch for you. Good dude. Uh, mensch. Love <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't know. Like this is what dating could look like in non-fungible token land. Mark Cuban talked about like, I want every season ticket holder of the Mavericks to get an NFT. And like, when you show up at my stadium with an NFT, like, you should be treated like a hero. Like you show up at, at to get a soda at the soda stand and you've got season holder tickets from multiple years. Yeah. Uh, how should we treat you? I, I love this so much. Like I'm... This is so, like a passive internet. You go about and, yeah. and the internet <laughs> connects to you. And like these it's, NFTs are sort of like reverse APIs. Like instead of all this BD happening and sales engineers integrating, you're just like emitting your data. And it's like, we'll solve privacy, but like, this is like the opportunity to think about. This is like the real life version of like, oh, achievement unlocked. Like, I didn't even know I was trying for that, but that just happens all of a sudden. Hey, congrats. Um, Past fifth grade. Boom. Fifth grade token. <laughs> oh, hey, summer camp. Like, I went to a summer camp with my family uh, for 18 years. Camp Michigania for Michigan alumni, like families. And kids went off. We would do archery. We would do boating and arts and crafts. We would earn merit badges. Like that would be so fun to have as NFTs. How much would you love if you're reading Harry Potter and like the moment that you do the sorting hat, the book is like, Eric, go to harrypotter.com or whatever. Find out what you got sorted into. Scan the book. And like you type in like the number and like the book is like, they're like, okay, like unique book. All right, boom, Hufflepuff, you suck. And you're like, fuck, <laughs> Hufflepuff. Uh, I want to trade. Who got Gryffindor? I will trade you. And then like, some cool kid at school is like, I, I'm Hufflepuff. And you're like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to do Hufflepuff now. This is like a new social <laughs> dynamic. New social dynamic. Like, how fun would that have been? I mean, it's it's cool as a I'm podcast. So I'm so jealous of kids that get to grow up in this world. Yeah. You're watching X-Men Saturday morning cartoons. And they're like, yo, this was like a sick episode of X-Men Saturday morning. You know, all you millennials who love watching this. Go get like the apocalypse like, did you get the mutant, you know, virus? Or are you like, are you good <laughs> this week? And then you're like, no, I got the virus. And then you play the big meta game with all like the fans that week. And like, you'll always have the token that says you got the virus. <laughs> and like, that's your, like your new Jake's Bar Mitzvah t-shirt. And like in college that you're like, oh, you got the virus. I got the virus. Look at my token. I too was at Jake's Bar Mitzvah in 1990. <laughs> yeah, these are going to be like profiles. It's and... more fun to think about than like, I don't yeah. know. I just feel like I can't wait till our brains are here than like top shots or like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, this is um, back to your point of like, there's a thousand things people can do on Web3 right now. And like almost everybody's just talking about their investment returns, right? You know, today, Web3, where it's at in terms of like the internet, it's that moment before... Google, like we have light or we have like Lycos or whatever. We have like these indexes, like 
There's literally lit websites that are just a list right. of projects. Oh, yeah. like, oh, I went to College Humor and it posted like this pyramid of links. And like you would click on all the websites to see what's new and cool on the internet today. Yep. That's literally where we're at with crypto. Someone's like, oh, I made this non-fungible token. It's like a bunch of dicks. Like, oh, I made this like crypto thing. Like you can borrow against this. And like everyone's just throwing spaghetti at the wall. And everyone, like there was a time, and I was a person back then, like on the internet, like I was into the internet. And like yeah, dude, you'd sit there, there and click stumble upon for like exactly. hours. Do you like random websites? We'll show you random websites. And like yeah. I had a column at my school newspaper about five new websites you should check out. And like so today, everything happening in crypto, I think like aside from DeFi stuff, it's all like fans of early crypto. So like all of the stuff in NFTs, it's all very meta. It's all meta fandom. Like, oh, like this is like the first NFT crypto punks. Like this led to like the creation of NFTs, which I believe will be a big thing one day. Yeah. And these are a placeholder of what could be a cool NFT. And I like these because like I'm a millennial. These are 8-bit nostalgic art. And like it's making fun of art. Like it's so bad. How can it be good? And like I find that style of humor funny. And so like everything falls into like that, that framework of like what is appealing to millennial early adopters of the internet. And like we're currently adopting crypto. And so like we like irony Boomers would not, I like boomers would laugh at me thinking this is valuable. Therefore, this is valuable. This is valuable because this could one day be something we all do. And like, therefore, it's interesting. And so, like, what I think people could do, if you want to get a sense of how big all this could be, look at CryptoPunks and Beeple, look at DAOs. People are just making DAOs because the software exists. Um, they're not really solving real problems yet. They're just fun. They're just playing with stuff. Everything will happen and be copy pasted into other fandoms. Yep. Oh, oh! Two, did you like this week's episode of Game of Thrones? Go to the website, claim your sword. Maybe you'll get a Valyrian steel sword. There's only 18. Oh, no, I got a shitty normal sword. I'll trade mine. Or like, oh, I'm going to vote in the Dow. Like, I think the Lannisters should attack the fucking village this week. <laughs> like, I have like 50 swords, including a legendary Lannister Valyrian sword. So like, my vote matters a hell of a lot more. Like, Heck, I got the um, the loot box that got me the special Lannister, you know, shield. And, and every, every fandom should have this. Like, I think more and more that the creation will be funded by... So we were seeing, like, Stoner Cats is the first project I know of. It's like a cartoon that's like the artists are being compensated Ooh. directly by fans who are buying the tokens and the NFTs to fund the creation of this media and then like participating and voting in like what happens. And you get, if you, if you have the token, you can like get your name, like sc scrawled in graffiti on an episode or like, like how cool get in the writer's room. It's fucking awesome. Full, full disclosure. I'm an, I'm an investor in that company. That's uh, that's John Howard's and Mac Lavelle's company, Mac Lavelle, who did crypto kitties. Yeah. Uh, I think that's an example of a, like, that's a future looking, like, how would you think? Mia Kunis and Ashton Kutcher, you know a lot about media, are like, okay, love crypto. What's a crypto-enabled media company? We have artists who typically struggle. How do we take, and like, I've seen how they do this now, because on the back end, Ethereum comes in, people buy the cats, it forks and goes to all the stakeholders of stoner cats. Like, artists get paid by that Ethereum. They, they made a ton of money on the Ethereum, and like, the artists get that. And then, yeah. like, the people who thought of the show. And this is going to fund all sorts of cool ideas. 
Like it, it, this Ethereum that they have made and have gotten on their balance sheet <laughs> is now going to give them space to think about cool stuff. And like, oh, do you own a stoner cat? You get to watch the episode. Oh, do you own a stoner cat? You get to participate in the game show that's coming out soon. Oh, heck, uh, we learned that all of you love this stoner cat. Like there's a meme. Let's give that stoner cat a talk show. That's kind of like space goes coast to coast. And like, I don't know, let's let the fandom just grow on its own organically. And we're all stakeholders of it. Hey, if you own a stoner cat from now on, 0.25% of all transactions go to people that have staked their stoner cats. And by the way, what does it mean to stake your stoner cat? It just means like, you're not, we're not using the word stake. It means we're dropping your cat off at the playpen. It's going to hang out with the other cats. And that's going to be fun to watch. And it's more fun when there's more cats. So that's why we're going to incentivize you to put your cat in the playpen. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. And, like, and that's, and that's like the far out, but it's exciting for, for other artists to like, you can basically Kickstarter your own shit anytime. Like you can write your own paper, you can put it out there. And if you get enough ETH, like they did it like a Kickstarter. It's like, hey, if we sell a hundred cats, this is what you get. If we sell all 10,000, like we'll yeah. produce all the episodes and go all in on it. So I, I have this phrase that I've thought about for the gaming industry um, that helped me. Like I used to sell advertising. Like I would get games to install ads. That's what I did for like five years. Um, and uh, a phrase that I that like that resonated with me to explain media uh, was like the way you fund the lunch that people eat who are making the media that determines what that media will be. So what does that mean? So specifically for games, like if it's $60 game, give us $60, here's your game. Like, or is it, we have loot boxes or is it, we're going to stop. We're going to, we have to run an ad right now. Mm -hmm. Each of these things determine, or is it a $9 a month subscription? Depending on what you choose determines what the actual, like that heavily determines what the content experience is. A $60 game usually is a beginning to end epic movie. It could be 50 hours, whatever. Uh, or it could be or it could be like World of Warcraft, like not, you know, X dollars a month, refreshed content. Or it could be like, you know, Fortnite free game. Uh, we have this cool loot box, hat economy. We're going to constantly fight to keep you interested with relevant real world integrations. You're going to want to get the Travis Scott outfit. We have a Travis Scott concert. All these decisions about how the game makes money and pays the developers and like how they eat lunch. And like the same is true for a cartoon in media. Like we talked about this a lot in our in our like community point point where we talked about tech ideas and business strategy. Um, Netflix doesn't need to run commercials. Therefore, they can have like two hour shows, three hour shows. They're super epic, violent. Uh, they just get subscriptions. They can have a show that appeals to 10,000 people because they don't care about a big audience. They just want you to love Netflix and want more of that. And like HBO doesn't care about ratings. And like, they're so like, and if you don't care about ratings, you don't talk about ratings. You care about other aspects of your show. You build your brand differently. Um, Big Bang Theory though, they run ads. Therefore they need to like be the most bland, <laughs> like their typical yeah. L curve. They're good. They appeal to somebody. So and they, they got to go through the network. Yeah. So like Stoner Cats, like if they're funded by like an engaged community, like, they need to be as awesome as possible. They need to, like, what happens when your business model is like maximizing fan service? Like, yeah, I want to see like the Rick and Morty that's funded directly by fans. Like, 
Yeah. No sensors, like, no networks, no you saw, executives. You saw, like, you saw how powerful the Rick and Morty fandom was, where like they were so powerful that like they got the Szechuan sauce to come into reality. What if you removed all the layers of bureaucracy that they probably had to go through to convince the world that like Szechuan sauce should be a thing? What if it was just a Discord post of like, yo, just you guys, like Szechuan, like vote on this. Let's go. And everyone's like, I'm here with you. Like, yes. Next day, like, boom, it's happening. There would be 10,000 more of these jokes and like 10,000 more moments to participate and more of a history to create in your head. And these are the things that lead to fandom. And like, like, like I'll talk like, like, a, like a thing that like an opportunity, like this is something that like, I sort of like talk a lot about at Twitch um, around fandom was like, there's sort of like, there's sort of like three things that matter that, that like are the ingredients, the legs of the fandom chair that like, and like depending on the quality of these legs are like how strong that fandom can be. And also like you can kill a fandom by removing these legs. So like thing one is like the emotional range of just the default experience. So like game of Thrones, like the season is ending. It's just beginning. Like these are important emotional things. Like that was a good episode. Someone died. Someone lived. <laughs> Oh no, the season's over. Like next season, when's it going to happen? It's so far away. Any content has these things. And like, you know, that's up to like the artist to make them good. Um, the next thing is self-identification. Your ability to self-identify as a fan. Do you have the merch? Do you have the status symbols, the digital? Are you a silver status? Oh, you have to apply to like get that or like, oh, you have the t-shirt. Like you had to be at Jake's Bar Mitzvah in 1993 to get that. Like, <laughs> like, do you know the code words? Like, ooh, that's a good theory about Arya Stark. You need to listen to the podcast that's only on once every other week, like to know that theory, like true fan. Um, or like, um, so like your ability, your, your, the depth that I you bought have, in, you can get, yeah. And then like the third one is social connection. Like the, like, if you and I are fans of something like Game of Thrones, like we share this hyper-specific pop cultural interest, like the odds of us being fan friends are high because mm -hmm. uh, like we will at, like we will relate on this very specific thing very passionately. So like the number of spaces that you create for fans to like make these connections and like the quality of those spaces. So like a Discord, like Lululemon literally opens up their store every Sunday for people to do yoga in that store, um, or like you know, League of Legends, like they have events that you go to, you see other League of Legends fans and they're like, yo, me too. Like I, I too am a fan. I know the code words, like I'm wearing the hat. Um, <laughs> and so I think that like Web3 and like NFTs give IP new superpowers to like touch each of these dimensions. Like how would you feel if Game of Thrones gave you, like you have a legit official from like, like JJ, like, or like George R. R. Martin fucking minted this sword and like, I have it. And like, like your fan experience just multiplied by 10,000. Like you have a, a rare collectible from the TV show that you've been watching. It's not just, we talk about it at work. You read the blogs, you now have like a token. And by the way, maybe that token also gives you access to other things. And like these all layer on meaning and yeah. like what ends up really happening here What's really going on here at like the base level of you as a person, like you are vicariously living a more exciting and adventurous life. Like the reason why we opt into fandoms is because like you can't go on an adventure 
and have your brain like printing out like tons of adrenaline and serotonin. That's like adventure quality, like goo in your head. So <laughs> you watch the show and like you're a part of it. And like you feel these chemicals going on in your brain. And so like, I think everything that people are going through right now with NFTs and crypto land that like they're feeling so much energy about, like look at that as a bullish signal. Cause like, just wait till that stuff gets applied to something people really care about. Something that's truly cool. Something that like some IP that has billions and decades of love poured into it. Billions of dollars. Like what happens when Star Wars really starts to flex? Like what I mean, happens when some Star Wars fan is like, yo, I have like this true Jedi token and like I have access to like the, the actual Jedi council and like only like 32 people out there in the world have access and have only even been there. And like, that's truly Jedi. Like that is so Jedi. And like, how did you like the thing did that there's secret passages to, built into like Star Wars land in Florida? And like, let me and, tell you what I had to do to get this. It's like, yeah. I had to go to Disneyland and fucking meet the, meet the Jedi leader. I had to prove my worth. And like, these are going to become normal stories about everything in the world. Um, people will carry these stories about proving themselves in their fandom. And uh, so think, how, like, how is that? Um, I feel like the, the definition of the metaverse is like, it's, it's definitely tied to web three, but it's not super clear. I think it's going to merge like video games to movies, to these kind of like Pokemon go style, like AR fan experience achievements. And yeah, like the metaverse, I feel like there's so much, it's like the next big buzzword, but like the way I think about it is simply we have IP intellectual property is everywhere. It's forming organically. It's coming from the top down. It's on every form of media, every medium that has aggregated an audience that shows up for content on that medium from music to video games, to movies, uh, to now NFT art. There's now community IP, uh, friends with benefits. People show up. And like now there's like an incentive to like create and invest in that IP. I think the metaverse is just technology that's bridging all these mediums together. And so we're seeing different capabilities about emerge. And like the thing to pay attention to of the metaverse is what IP can I take from like point A to like what point A has been connected to the new, what's the new point A to point B connection? Is it I can take Fortnite IP to another video game is it a tv show i like is now in in another video game in like fortnite is it now more than fortnite is it like many video games uh right so it's like on one axis it's number of mediums on another axis it's like what's like the the quality of expressiveness of that ip mm -hmm. like did i did i take a crypto punk and put it in fortnite is the crypto punk a full character can i play with the character like can I express myself? Like, what's the degree I can express myself? So like, that's like the thing we're going to pay attention to. Yeah. Like, like how much IP can go into how many places and what can I do with it? And, and to like combine that with the DeFi conversation, like, and how much of an economic all-in experience can it be? Like with Axie Infinity, people are playing games that have economic outcomes and those things can be kind of like merged for the first time through software. Yeah, and I think I think DeFi is just a capability that adds incentives for the metaverse to be interesting. Like, you know, how cool would it be to kind of own a plot of land? Like, you buy a plot of land in Game of Thrones, and now you are a Lannister, and now like you you bought that, and so like you have injected real money 
somewhere into the economy that might flow somewhere else, maybe that money goes to like maybe you bought that land from someone who who owned that land originally. Like you bought it from another user who like yo, I just flipped some land in Game of Thrones and like Westeros. Like I literally, I'm like the biggest landowner in in Westeros and like I, I like yeah, like that could be a thing. Um, yeah. And like maybe someone's like I bar I have a bunch of land like I now borrow against my land. That's cool. I, like I buy real I bought like a real house with it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So um so let's go. Um, you recently like went left Twitch and went like full time crypto. Um, yeah. and so I want to kind of talk about like basically what it's like to go full time crypto and what you do and. Yeah. Like, so let's run through it. So like your, I think your tweet said like, it includes uh, farming yield, running validators, building DeFi tools, um, investing and advising in DeFi and NFT startups, um, meeting everyone. And you also like just started a fund, but let's start with like the basic stuff and just like kind of your day to day, like what are you doing and what are you working on? And like, what's it like to just be a crypto guy? Yeah. So the way it all started was I simply looked at how much I had invested into DeFi and like what I was capable of earning with that. And once I, I just kind of did the math and I was like, okay, I'm earning this much percent on my principal. And I went to my stock and I, you know, I'm one of those startup people that's like, hey, I own Apple stock and I own Fang. And I'll talk about that on Twitter. And I'll be very proud of like how I've done over a decade. And I just took all, I, I took 95% of my equity and I put it all into Ethereum uh, last like October. At, like I had already done my homework. I've kind of confirmed. I feel all these things about Ethereum and DeFi. I did that and then started generating like, I, that, that, I did that number because that would get me well past the number I need to earn every month to like replace my salary and live off of it. And then also like it just did really well as crypto started to take off. And then, um, so like there's sort of a few parts of it. Part one is I have my own crypto portfolio and I'm actively looking for new opportunities and ways to optimize it and be better with my money. And that might mean all my stable coins are on curve, earning interest. And I'll use Convex, which like gives me a boost on curve. And I'll have, I'll keep an eye out for emerging projects like Osmosis which I believe will be the Uniswap of Cosmos. And I'm a big liquidity provider there. Or Alchemix, I'll see new projects coming out. I'll be an LP and I'll earn fees. And then I'll dump my yield and I'll acquire Ethereum. And I'll try to just accumulate as much Ethereum as possible because my long-term play is to just live off of the yield on my Ethereum when it's staked. So I'll do that. And like I'm every day, like I'm claiming my yield and I'm compounding it back into the market. And every day I'm buying more Ethereum and I'm, stacking more of it. And uh, yeah, you know, over time, like that gets bigger and bigger. And then as I've been doing this, I've been talking about how I do this. Like I'm like seeing success and like, I want my friends to make the shift that I made. Cause like they should all at least have the opportunity to decide. Like people should know that this is possible. Cause like this feels like a very, it feels too good to be true. But when you learn more about it, it's not. And I also feel like there is a window where there's kind of like two to three years where this is going to be like a thing. And then mm -hmm. like a lot of these yields will compress as more bigger money moves in and crowds me out. And so I think anybody who sort of like has a few hundred thousand dollars saved up could really do, could, could build generational wealth right now doing this. Um, like 
tens of millions off of like that kind of principle. And so I got the personal portfolio going, constantly looking for yield. The other thing I'm doing is like lots of my friends were like, wow, this is like really interesting, but it also sounds complicated. And like, I kind of don't want to learn about it the way you do. <laughs> you invest for me. And so I have three other friends who we talk about this every day. One of them is Boz, who is the COO at, at, at Akash, a uh, decentralized hosting company. Another is Adam Atkins. He's like a Ethereum subject matter expert and quantitative trader. We were just like, hey, everyone's asking us. So we just started a fund. We just said, hey, if we, um, if we had an SPV, hey, friends, like, give us your money. We're, we'll go invest it in DeFi for you. We think we're going to beat the DPI, the DeFi Pulse Index. We're going to beat Ethereum. We're going to beat Bitcoin. Otherwise, there's really no reason for you to give us your money. You should just go buy these things. And so we structured our fund to be a one-year fund. Give us your money. We'll give it to you one year back. We'll return it. Um, our promise is... Promise. We can't really promise. But like, we have no fees on the first 15%. So like, to anybody who's like interested in crypto, it's like, hey, we're going to give you a 15% return on your money in a year. And then we'll take fees on everything after 15%. So like, we're highly incentivized to get upside. And then the idea is that gets us the opportunity to get a, a vehicle going... We can bet on our point of view. Our point of view is we believe in cross-chain. We think there'll be more than Ethereum out there. We also believe in DeFi. Right now, we've been in the market for a month. We're up 70%. We feel good about it. We think we're going to be up a lot more in a year. And then our goal with this year is we want to figure out what's our next fund. Uh, fund one was just get it going. Uh, prove that like we can we can sort of assess the bull market and we can buy liquid assets. Like We don't even... We don't even go and talk to these teams. Like we'll talk to the teams like in the discords. We'll learn about them. We'll see how active they are. We'll read the white papers. We'll look at the on-chain analytics using Dune, Dune analytics to see like how's the protocol doing. We'll talk to other investors. And then we'll just market buy a bunch of sushi, a bunch of Luna, a bunch of Rune. We'll buy a bunch of Ethereum. Right now we're providing liquidity on Phantom, a layer two that just launched. Um and uh the second fund though, we want to work backwards from well, what's possible in crypto. Uh, what would what would the what would like the optimal entity look like to take advantage of all the opportunities? You can run validators, like own a bunch of tokens, like own a bunch of Ethereum, Helium, Rune, Terra, you know, Atom tokens. You can own and run validators. Mm-hmm. You'll have exposure to the asset and earn. You'll you'll contribute to like the big supercomputer that that validators are all working on. That feels good. You can earn fees. All the transactions are going to validators. You get the gas. What a great... What, like, I think big institutions and I think a lot of investors would love to invest in validators. Mm-hmm. I think we should have a stablecoin farm. We should have a fund that like... that like inv- We should have a venture arm that's buying equity early because like we're here. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of upside in equity. We currently don't do that. I think we should also have like a DeFi fund that's just actively managing DeFi positions that's providing liquidity, harvesting yield. Um, We should have an NFT fund that's acquiring NFTs. And then ultimately, we should be buying real estate and rotating all this into real estate and uh, as a tax. Like, So I think the optimal crypto thing is like a financial sort of conglomerate that's like, moving yield around in a tax efficient way using crypto. Yeah. I like that a lot. And it's really interesting how different, like the one year SPV fund structure is really interesting. 
um, because you can't do that in with with the illiquidity of like private companies, right? So in the normal startup land, it's a ten plus year fund structure and a two and twenty and all that. Um, so it's it's cool to see a new structure kind of get put in place and what what this kind of fund might look like. Yeah, and uh, you know we're also talking about like well, my camera. I'm just trying to. Um, there we go. Um, my computer was about to die, so I did. I did change my. Camera. Um, we also wanted to like. There's another thing we're exploring, and I don't know if we'll do this, but like a totally normal thing in crypto is like you just go to a website, you connect your wallet, and you're like, yeah, I'll just like, I'll deposit my crypto into this thing. Like it would be great to make the fund self serve. I wondered. Yeah, I was. Gonna, I was. That was going to be my next question. Actually, it's like, is it more like? running a private equity fund where you have like capital calls and like a bank account and shit? Or is it a, truly a DeFi fund where like somebody just sends you a bunch of ETH and like you have a smart contract that tracks it's, what it is and then you allocate from your accounts? It's structured like the former, but acts like the latter. Like yeah. we do a, we did one capital call. We got all of our money. We put it into the market right away. Yep. And um, like it's all out. It was 100% allocated over <laughs> two, over two weeks. Um, yeah. And so like... But why couldn't our investors just go to a website and connect their wallets? And also, why do we limit it to our investors? Like, we, we have 65. We would have taken 6,000. Um, things that we don't really want to do. Like, I don't really want to... Like, I don't really want to do the song and dance of getting equity right now. I want liquid assets. I want to just... I just want our investors to be happy. If, if they want to exit, I, I wish they could just exit. Um, I wish they could just see the real-time returns. I don't really want to do all the communication with them. Um, so like this would solve that. Um, yeah, that's we're super cool. At, we're looking at Babylon Finance right now, possibly for fund number two. Yep. Uh, but also it's like, what do we ultimately want to achieve? Um, I don't know. This could also turn into a community. Like this could be a thing where we open up a Discord and have a newsletter. We do events and it's sort of like a, hey, we believe. We believe in like... Like, hey, we have shared beliefs around like what crypto is, what we want to invest in. Like, there could be a thing in the fund that we create. Like, like we talked about Alchemix, um, really cool protocol, self-paying loans. You deposit money, it generates a synthetic stablecoin based on your collateral. It then takes your collateral and puts it onto Yearn, and it starts earning like a thirty percent APY, and it starts to pay down your initial loan. Um, like it's a really clever, really clever protocol and a good example of like things that are only possible with DeFi. Um, imagine taking $50 million and putting it onto Alchemix and taking out a $50 million loan. And so then it starts paying itself back at 30% APY. So you're going to get it all back in two and a half, three years. Great. You now have $50 million. Go invest in a bunch of startups. And in over the next, like over the next three years, it will vest as you, as you, as you invest, it pays itself back. Right. You may never need to fundraise again. A self-fundraising fund. Yeah. So what does it mean to be, like you're who are you even accountable to? So my my like uh value investor bones are like having a panic attack right now. So like what uh where do you put yourself on like the degen scale? There's just so much that sounds too good to be true that it I feel like a lot of Myself and probably plenty of other people are kind of like, oh my God, there's buried risk here. Like this could all go so terribly. Like what's the, what's the scam yeah. that I don't know about? So like, are, yeah. do you, are you like 
knowingly way far out on the risk profile? Is this risk profile just like totally different? Like I think I'm I think I'm on I'm far out on the risk profile in terms of what I'm willing to try, but I also think that people overestimate how risky crypto is right now. And so I think like Ethereum and DeFi are further along. Like crypto is not just you're going to get scammed on some coin that you buy. Right. right. It is not just ICO scams. The things that people worry about are smart contract risk, getting hacked. People worry about, and like I've been hacked and, um, and like people worry about, um, yeah, people worry about bugs in, contra- in, in smart contracts. And, uh, and we also worry about the market crashing. Like there could be some regulation. It's like there's, there's risk you can take on like leveraged positions. And like if the market is really volatile, you can get liquidated. But that's a different type of risk than like, yeah. I'm damn, that's like your own risk as a trader. You can take that risk today on Robinhood. So like, I feel like me, I'm 95, I have 95% of my net worth is in Ethereum. And then of that, I have borrowed against that. And like, I have stable coins on, on curve. I have, I am in, I am on osmosis and emerging decks. I have money. Um, I have invested in Luna and like, I own these emerging layer one tokens that I'm confident in. Um, but I'm also like, I have a leveraged position on a crypto asset. And like, if the market really goes south, I have to unwind that stuff. And uh, I'm prepared to. But like, because of the risk I'm taking on, I'm getting astronomical upsides. I'm getting crazy. Like I'm literally, I get I, like with my yield, I go and I get three ETH a day. And like, uh, I'm willing to take that up that risk right now. That's crazy. And in order to do that though, I have to, I'm always paying attention to the markets. Yep. It's the first thing I check when I go to sleep and when I, and when I wake up. Uh, like I'm a little stressed out about it a little bit, but like I'm also, I'm getting a lot out of it. And, and, you're, so, and you're working hard. Um, working so, hard at it. And then like, I, I think we said earlier, I would talk about this hack that happened to me. Yeah. Yeah, dude. So like, yeah, I don't want to give the sense that this is all like, you know, thousand X returns and stuff. So like, um, it, the, maybe the Thor hack is, is like an yeah. interesting story on the kind of like bug in the smart contract side. And then like your, your personal story of just like, yeah. Uh, so like, We'll, we'll get right into it. So like recently, ThorChain, super promising product. What it does is it provides... It's a technology that creates cross-chain liquidity. So you could trade Bitcoin for Ethereum versus wrapped Bitcoin on Ethereum for Ethereum. It's It took me so a surprisingly much. long time to figure out that I can't just trade Bitcoin for Ethereum and that like yeah. different chains so, don't play well together. So like ThorChain like, solved that. Not like, investment advice, but the Rune token is a once-in-a-generation technology and every smart person in crypto thinks it's the coolest thing ever. And it's incredibly hard to create and took a long time to do. So like the Rune token is awesome and consider having it in your portfolio. Like I do and our fund does a big uh, position. Though it but, also just got its ass kicked. Um, so like they, they have a lot of liquidity and a lot of people are putting money in Rune and someone found a bug in their smart contract and drained millions from it. It was one of the biggest hacks ever. It was a white hat. And so they returned the money, but like they took thousands of Ethereum out of their Ethereum vault. And if you were in there, you were fucked. Uh, but it just turns out, thank, thankfully, the ThorChain community is good and their treasury made everyone hold and the hacker returned the money anyway. And so like here you have a, a project that is widely followed, paid attention to, used by smart people, got exploited, risk. Um, and there's really like no insurance for it. Um, Aside from the treasury itself. Yeah, my even myself, I had another Thor thing happen to me where like a year ago, like I bought, a, I, I got excited about, I read a paper on Rune 
from Multicoin, um, Redmore or Delphi. I was on a call for Delphi uh, Digital. I highly recommend Del- Delphi. They have a, a subscription that you can buy and they're sort of like, they are your smart, obsessed friend with crypto and they I, share all the alpha in a structured way. I just met Tom yesterday. That guy's awesome. They talked about Rune. They were one of the yeah. first people to talk about it. I got, I threw like 15 grand at it when it was at like 60 cents. And it was like one of my first like absolute wins. And like one day, like uh, last in February, I, there I am, I'm sitting on half a million bucks in room, feeling awesome. I'm going to work my way to getting a validator going. And I wake up and all my rune is gone. And I'm like, oh, there's a bug. And it, I, I realize uh, some other tokens are starting to leave my wallet. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm getting hacked right now. And I had a lot of other crypto in my wallet and I quickly moved all of it over. Um, and I saved all my the rest of my money. But I had half a million dollars of rune taken. I had another $100,000 of ArcX tokens taken that I invested in. And they started to drain my... Um, my ETH from my like my Oasis vault. And I, I had just moved it away from there in the middle of them draining it. And so now I'm still like, I'm talking to the FBI and investigators and I still, this is unresolved. And like, I have, I have like, there's nothing I can do. Um, it, it's a tremendous amount of money to me. And it was just, and I don't even know how it happened. I have theories, like maybe like I, someone linked me to a website that looked like MetaMask and maybe I typed in my seed phrase because I thought that's what you should have done to get the help I needed. But I don't even remember doing that. And maybe it was my Wi-Fi. Maybe someone got a virtual machine, like a virtual desktop thing onto my computer. Maybe they were listening. And so the moment this happened, like I got a new computer, I got new routers, I got VPNs all set up and I'm like, I'm back at it. But like, I still don't know what happened. And so like, I'm still to this day paranoid. I'm on like a Gnosis. I now have a multi-sig wallet. Uh... I'm, and it's not all. It's not all good. Uh, I don't know how it happened. I, it could still happen again. It happened to my dad. I got my dad super excited about crypto. He bought ten ETH. He, I showed him how to borrow against on Oasis, and some hacker took all of it. They moved his vault to their wallet. Like, we don't even know how it could have possibly happened. So, wow. these are things that terrify me to this day, and I'm not really sure what to do about it. And it makes me like one. It's like makes me bullish. Like wow, we're so early. There's no way these rails, like people users will need rails um, that I'm not on right now. Yeah, it's it is a bit of a frontier um, for sure. And and I think like I don't know those things. You have to believe that those things will get solved, right? It's kind of like early web stuff that you're like, I can't believe that shit used to happen. but there's th- and, and having multiple wallets helps, and there's a lot of security that goes in. It, it, but if you're getting really serious about it, like you need to be paying attention to this. Uh, the, like the user, the user experience of crypto today should make everyone who currently holds crypto extremely bullish about it because <laughs> it, it's it, so it, hard. It tells you why there's so few people that use crypto today. It's low, low millions, low hundreds of thousands. They're all going to use it because we know the power. But Hey, yeah. I recommend people. I meet so many people that have a lot of money in crypto. They don't have a ledger, no hardware wallet. I use a no. I use a lattice. It's an amazing device. It's a, a, a lattice uh, grid plus, and I use a Gnosis Safe, a multi signature. Every time I do a transaction, I need multiple wallets to approve it. I mean, I think if you have 
$10,000 or more in crypto, you must have these things. Interesting. if I, I meet so many people that have more than that in crypto and they just use MetaMask, no, no ledger. And like my butthole gets tight on their <laughs> As it should, as it should. Um, so what I'm curious about the, the scene between like earning in crypto and like your, all your real life expenses. Like, are you just selling off just what you need to, to live? I don't sell anything actually. All okay. I do, like just the other day, I funded my next six months. I just went, to my, I use liquidity, which is a borrowing protocol. I deposit my Ethereum onto liquidity and I can borrow against it. So I just took the amount of money that I need for the next six months and I borrowed it against my ETH and I sent it to Binance or I sent it to Kraken, swapped that for US dollars and I deposited it in my bank account. And it was in my bank account in a few hours after. So done. That That's awesome. Won't and that won't be taxed either. That's not taxable revenue. Because it's uh, debt, actually? It's not, it's not income. It's just a loan. And so what's going to happen, though, in the future, I'm gonna one, one day I'm going to vaporize that loan. Or maybe it just appreciates so much that like, the loan becomes negligible in the big picture. Interesting. I'm, all the yields that I get, I sell into stablecoins or ETH. And that sort of prepares me. Should I ever need to pay that loan back, I can just send it right in there. Sure. Okay. Um, okay. So, so we're uh, like on the thread of recommendations for, for people who are kind of like excited about this and into it, like uh, websites, people, maybe yeah. pro- simple projects, like no investment advice, but like, where do you go to learn more? What, what's let like me, a good on-ramp? Like take us through some. Yeah. Of that. Let me, let me rattle off a couple of thoughts around that, that I jotted down. All right. Um, so Thing one, and I think I'll send this to you so you can put this in the show notes or somewhere, but like there's a really good podcast called Bankless. The two hosts of Bankless, Ryan C. Adams and David Hoffman are worth following on Twitter. They're some of the best thought leaders in crypto. They're very actively thinking out loud, writing. Subscribe Mm -hmm. to Bankless. Listen to every podcast. It's all required listening. (laughs) They have two very good podcasts that are recurring called The Bull Case for Ethereum, where they bring together a panel of very bright people, very charismatic, who know a lot about Ethereum and what's going on. And they just talk about the bull case, why they're excited. Those, when you finish the episodes, you will feel like you don't own enough. You'll reorient <laughs> life around getting more Ethereum. That's what I did, literally, moment after I listened to it and changed my life. So I listened to those episodes, read their stuff. I would pay, join their Discord, start being a member. I would then check out something like, all right, next, it's like I want to get into DeFi. I would look at Yearn and Harvest. I would look at Uniswap. I would read the white papers. Whoa, get intimidated. Read them. They're very readable. (laughs) They're designed for normies to read. You will enjoy them. Even the Ethereum white paper isn't that hard. Like That, I haven't read. I I, (laughs) I don't care. Um, I I like, cool. Um, read about token distributions. Uh, go, go to the Alchemix website and read their documentation. Read how Alchemix will distribute its tokens. Learn how Alchemix works. If you can learn how Alchemix works, you'll know DeFi. And it, like, because Alchemix is like a layer built on top of a layer, built on top of a layer, built on top of Ethereum. And when you understand each of these layers, it'll like it's a perfect example of what's possible. This concept of money Legos. 
when you make a money Lego and another money Lego, another developer can take these two and put them together. And like, you get this third thing, this new money technology. And um, I would follow on Twitter, DC Investor. I am DC Investor to learn about NFTs and Ethereum. I would follow CL, a funny meme account, who is a great trader who talks a lot about fun things in Ethereum. Anthony Sassano has a daily podcast called The Daily Gway, funded by Gitcoin. Anthony Sassano, a very funny guy from New Zealand, very knowledgeable on Ethereum and projects you should pay attention to. Um, I would start putting my money. I would figure out how to get my money, my Ethereum. I would learn how to borrow against it. Figure out how to put Ethereum onto Liquidity or onto Oasis and borrow some DAI or stablecoins against that Ethereum and deposit that DAI onto Curve and start earning yield. Um, figure out, try being a liquidity provider on Uniswap. Figure out like, what does that mean? How do you figure out a pool to go in? Why, why that pool? Learn what impermanent loss is. Um, follow me on Twitter. I'm talking all the time on Twitter. Yeah. And I have like, you can literally schedule time with me on my Twitter bio, schedule 15 or 30 minutes with me. We'll talk. I, I have helped 100 people establish very strong DeFi portfolios that are unique to each of them that fit their lives and hit their goals just for fun. It's not even like it's funny. It is financial advice, but it's not. Um, <laughs> who else is going to get it? Who else, who else is going to do that for you? Um, I have a Discord. And if we become friends, I will invite you to join it. All we do is talk about crypto in there. It's only for my friends. It's not designed to be a big content internet community. It's supposed to be like, Tech people into crypto, talking about crypto, learn, wanting to learn more about it, get exposed, wanting to make more money at it. Um, what else would I do? I joined a lot of discords. I like token. I would buy Luna. It, it's like the the, <laughs> oops, the oops, I missed Ethereum token is Luna or Adam. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's yeah. where I would start. IMDC investor, the bankless guys, yeah. Anthony Sassano. Yeah. That's awesome. Schedule time to chat with me. Um, dude, thank you so much for, for doing this. Like the number one uh, like anxiety in my life now, which is a good place to be, but is, is just like knowing in my bones that this is huge and transformative and like feeling like I can't possibly learn enough about it quickly enough. Um, and I, so I owe you a huge debt of like, doing this podcast, but also all the like messages and stuff that we've shared and how you've kind of, you know, brought me along. I appreciate it. Hey, you know, I love finding ways to make money. I love technology and society where it intersects. Mm -hmm. You know, that's like my favorite thing to talk about and think about. And crypto right now is like both of these things. And if you're like one of these people that loves, like you were like, oh, I'm so proud that I like, I identified Fang as a stock to own last decade. Like there's a lot of people in tech that are like that. And like working at Twitch and like with all my startup friends, most people aren't into crypto yet. They just think of it as like you hold it, it's a token. They haven't brought the level of nuanced thinking to it that we're having right now because they didn't have a person in their life to bring them along. And like I'm bringing all them along. And uh, it's up to everyone to decide like how into crypto they want to be. But I do believe, and I'll leave you with this thought, now is a time... It's, it's 1995, 1996. The internet is just coming out. We know it's going to be big. And Google, Amazon, PayPal, eBay, um, the NAS, E-Trade, they're all having a very public A round and B round and C and angel round. 
And you don't need to be invited into the inner circle to invest. You can simply learn about them, get excited about them, get conviction, learn everything you would know from those secret meetings because it's all on the blockchain and you can invest. And not only can you invest and own, but like like I said earlier, because it's all programmable money, you get superpowers when you invest. It's like investing in the sales guy. You can get yield. And that's crazy. And so like everyone I know is making a stupid amount of money in crypto right now because they're getting exposed to it. The market is going parabolic because it's getting adopted. And it's going parabolic in the way that every new technology at different phases of the hype cycle, it goes parabolic. There's more parabolas in front of us. Like this is simply the 5 million to 50 million parabola. And then we'll have the 50 million to a billion user parabola. And like, this will mean different things for the values of all these tokens. And so like, I just think everybody who gets exposed to this industry is going to make a lot of money. You're going to learn a lot. You're going to be a part of the adventure of the new internet coming out. And like, just for like, last example, just because I fucked around in DeFi last summer, like I've been airdropped like $150,000 worth of tokens. Like when you use, like the behavioral marketing in crypto is airdropping tokens to wallets that have done things. Like that goes back to that. Like, did you run the marathon? Like, here's like the marathon runner token. Like, oh, did you use Uniswap? Well, we're a new app that's like Uniswap. Like, here's some of our tokens for free. Please, like, come discover our app. So I just think we're, it's like there's a revolution going on, man. Uh, go pay attention to it. Get a part of it. Get exposed to it. You're going to make money along the way. You're going to have fun. And this could be a career uh, if you do the math right and decide, you know, you can make more here doing this. Drop that mic, Jason. Drop that mic. Boom. I'm at Jason Hitchcock on Twitter. I would love to talk to you. It's my favorite thing to talk about. I love it. Thank you, man. Appreciate hey, it. This was really, really great catching up with you. I'm really glad you're doing a podcast. You should do a podcast. So I'm excited for this. This is fun. I appreciate you hanging out with us today. I encourage you to go follow Jason on Twitter at Jason Hitchcock. Of course, his avatar is a crypto punk. Uh, get the Calendly link in his bio, book a call, and go down the rabbit hole. If you want to learn more about crypto, just jump in, start doing, get some skin in the game, and feel the waves for yourself. Uh, I write a little about crypto on my blog, just trying to figure it out for myself. Uh, I have two good posts for beginners. One is Ethereum 101, and the other is Ethereum by analogy. And I'll just leave you with one question today. What if this is the next revolution? If you missed web one or web two while being distracted, confused, or not yet sentient, ask yourself what you would do if you knew that this was the beginning of the next massive paradigm shift. Take a quiet minute, think about it, and be well.